kind of a big podium, right? So this is, this is going to be a fun adventure. Whenever we go through books of the Bible, it's one of the things, the reason why, why we keep doing it is we just, well, one, it keeps us honest, right? You've got to at least read every word and uh, hopefully have the courage to, ad- to address what God's asking you to address. But secondly, it's such a journey. And, you know, it takes year, years, whatever, to go through one of these books sometimes with all the distractions. Uh, like I said, the heart is, we're going to go through the book of John. And, and they call this one of the Gospels. Why do they call it a Gospel? What does that mean? Good news? That's what the word means. Why is it good news? Salvation is, that's a good answer. Salvation has come to mankind. And that's what we're going we're gonna to go through the story, that salvation has come to mankind. Let me just say this. As a... As a fellowship, an assembly of called out ones. That's what we are. Uh, I'm very grateful to you as the pastor over this fellowship for all the love and the prayer and the support. I want to say thank you. You guys spoiled Brandy and I and our kids as, as she walked through this surgery. That's the prayers, the food. I mean, if I'm looking a little chubby. Well, I've always been chubby, but it's going to, it gets worse with all that good food. And, and so thank you so much for that, for God's love and how you, you know, showered us with those blessings and those prayers. Um, everyone has those times. I mean, right now in this simple fellowship, before we dig into John, I want to pray. But you know, I know, man, I, I know so many of you have ailments, surgeries that have just happened, surgeries that are about to happen. Things going on that you can't have surgery for right now. I see you hobbling in, right, and hobbling out. And so we, we continually need this Savior, and that's why I look forward to this good news of what, what God's going to teach us through this. But right now, I just want to offer a prayer for this study and also for healing for all the people in, in our midst, okay? Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your good news that that you saw things go awry, you were not surprised, you were not taken back, but you had a plan that you would send the word of God, the, the, the embodiment, the action, the power of God, take the form of man, your son Jesus, that he would come to save us from our sin, from this world, from ourselves. And so bless, bless these times we get together whenever we talk about you, about the Lord Jesus, and about this story. Bless this time, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would would come and it would bring comfort and healing to all those people that are struggling with their feet and knees and hips and backs, and even our brains, Lord, that you would just bring your healing and your touch on them, Jesus. In your name, I pray that. Please come. Provide the ways whether it's supernatural or whether it's wisdom you've given man to bring healing. And Lord, I pray that you would heal our hearts and our lives as you bring us closer and closer to you and we become more like your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Okay, so John, kind of excited about that. So John, uh, who wrote it? John, whoa, whoa, great, great, right? Which John? John the Baptist, the baptizer guy? No. 
John the Beloved, right? So one of the guys, this guy walked with Jesus, had a brother. What was his brother's name? James. Cool journey from, from what they call the son of thunder, fisherman, unpolished, to the disciple who wants to talk about nothing but Jesus' love, it seems like, right at times. So, so cool. John also wrote what else? First John. Second John. Third John. No. Revelation. There we go. Okay, so there's that introduction. Now what's happened is, one thing about John to let you know, just to tickle your intellect, but, but there's four accounts of this good news story about how Jesus came, right? And about his ministry, about his death and resurrection, about the salvation that's come to mankind. And the other three accounts, they, they, t- they were written, according to church history, earlier. And then John, who was basically the last standing of all the disciples, wrote this account later on. Some people say it could be 80, 90 A.D. So if you do the math, it's like 50 to 60 years after Jesus ascended. So he's been walking out this life with Jesus, life filled with the Holy Spirit, for five or six decades. And that's why we have someone who was the son of thunder, who now is the personification of God's love. So if you're having a hard time getting it, you're in good company, okay? You walk this out for five, six decades with the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, sacrificing your life to him and see what happens. Cool? What happened, but in the, in the Bible that we have, there's the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's a period of time in between the two. And they say it's somewhere around 400 years. Whether it's 200 or 400, I see what we've done as a society over a few hundred years, and things change a lot. What do we know about that time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What's that? A lot of persecution. Distrust. Distrust. What else? What's that? No prophets. Okay. No prophets. Do they still have their church? if you will, right? The synagogues, right? The, the temples. The Jews still had their religion, yep. right? Yes. Now, their home, were they in control over their homeland or was someone else at rule? Who was ruling over them? The Ro- it ended up becoming the Romans, right? And the culture was predominantly, what well, was Greek, right? The Greek influence. Even, even our New Testament was most of the early documents, right? It's, a lot of it's Greek. Um, so you kind of have... From a biblical standpoint, you have the the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. And that could be Roman. There could be a lot of different influences. So we have that. But what's happened, guys, is you end up seeing the world. The tendency of humanity is to drift away from God. And it's also to drift away from what you originally knew. Right? Try being married to someone for a number of decades. It's easy to forget why you fell in love with them in the first place. Right? Or being a parent, right? From that newborn baby that you can't kiss enough to the 17-year-old that you can't choke enough, right? It's, it's easy in a loving way, right? Here, here. Of course, my kids and your kids aren't that. It's other people's kids, right? You still just want to kiss them even though they're 17 with beards, yeah. Um, but what tends to happen is, is God, over time... 
you forget that he's there, right? You forget how amazing your child is. You forget how amazing your parents are or your friends or your spouse. Over time, we drift. And so what's left is tradition and practice. So Jesus is coming into that world, right? And in John, we're not getting necessarily the story of his birth. But John's going to go back farther. So I'm going to take you really far today. We're going to go three total verses on our journey through John. Exciting? Yeah. Starts with this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Have you heard that? And I think it's so, when it's familiar, it's easy to get glossy eyes, right? Uh-huh. right you've, you've heard this, the word, and in church culture, what's happened is, what's the word mean? The Bible. In church culture, right? If you look at that, oh, it's the, the word. Get into the word. What's that mean, Jackie? The Bible. Problem, they didn't have the Bible. He's writing it right now. Okay, so, so what is this? What does this mean? That we have to stop there instead of just reading through that and getting to some kind of amazing story. In the beginning was the Word. So whatever the Word was, it was there in the beginning, like before the things were created. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, and the Word was with God. So somehow there's not only like there's some sort of additional thing than God there, right? The word was with God, but then the word was God. Can we just admit now we've gone beyond our own understanding? And I'll tell you, I I think, okay, I think, you know, 40 years into this life and going to church, studying the Bible and stuff, I think half the time, you know, just that, the key is just humbling yourself before God, saying, I don't know how in the world, like, I'm supposed to be smart and tell you this. I don't know how in the world, world this word, whatever it was, was with God, like, separate, but also was God. How does that work? What's that look like? Can I diagram it for you? I can't. I throw myself at the feet of God to say, I don't know. And I don't even, I want to know what the word is. So geek out a little bit. Go to the Greek word they're translating from here. The Greek word is logos. Okay? Uh, by definition, what this is, it's like a spoken word. So that's why we call the Bible that. Do you see that? Because people, people had these revelations from God and they wrote down what was spoken to them, what was revealed to them. So this is a written record of a verbal word. Make sense? That's why it got that name. Also, It also can refer to a reason or a plan, like something said, including a thought. It could be a topic, like a subject of discourse. Also, reasoning, the mental faculty, or motive, or computation, or divine expression. Here's what's cool. When you see that word, word, what's so brilliant about God, and I mean, it blows my mind. It blows my mind because... This, this phrase itself would have had meaning in both the Jewish world and in the Greek world, the non-Jewish world. And here's how. For the Jews, please think about it like this. You ever been somewhere and seen someone make something where you can go see them make it, right? Like I remember when we were over for a wedding and we were in Japan. You remember that, Brandy? And we saw those people making those little dumplings that you see frozen in the store. Those like Asian dumplings. We saw them by hand making them. And so this guy, I could go to him and have him show me how he made it. 
And he used his fingers and he used material, right? I could see that. But the amazing thing about this is God who created everything, whatever's creating everything, whatever's creating the wind and oxygen and stuff, we can study it, but we can't necessarily see it. And so from the very beginning for the Jewish world, what they learned is all of creation around them was created by God. And the Genesis account written by Moses of how God created it, he actually used his words. He spoke and things came into being. Moses didn't happen upon Jesus like, or God and Jesus like with hammers, like trying to build something. So the word logos actually refers to the creative and communicated acts of their personal God. So it was God's personal interaction with creation. Everything was created through the use of his words, and God continues to interact with his creation through the use of words. And he does this because he wants to share his reasoning and care out his plan and care for you, right? Like my sheep will hear my voice. He continues with his words. Somewhere along the way, when, when Brandy surprisingly liked me back, I didn't see God whispering to her, but somewhere along the way, something magical happened to fool that girl into falling for me, okay? And that I couldn't see, but God's words somewhere were at play. And, and my kids were knit together in, in their mom's womb and the personalities that they have. I, I can't see where that came from, but it's the word The Logos of God. Now let's say you're not a Jew. Right? This might not mean a lot to you. This idea of the divine reason implicit in the cosmos. Ordering it and giving it form and meaning. So what they began to happen is religion over time. Even the Jews that had this tradition. They were watching the world around them. They wanted to be intellectual and match with the Greek culture. So they had philosophers. And what they began to see is this logos became a word. It took on a new meaning. It was this kind of thing that existed. It was this divine reasoning. So... It was a divine reasoning, the thought, the power that was creating everything and keeping it in order. They were like looking outside saying, what's going on here? And they gave a word for it. And that was the Logos. Then about the 6th century BC, what ended up happening is there was, a, there was actually a philosopher, right? Heraclitus was a Jewish philosopher. And he discerned, I'm sorry, he's not Jewish. He discerned what happened was, he discerned for the Greek world this, that the cosmic process that was happening was real similar to the power in humans. So they began to say, there's got to be some kind of order and thought process to this creation. What's happening here? They had to come up with a word to describe what was happening. And you see, once once there's a creator, then he has control over you. So we're always trying to do our best to take the creator out of it and give some kind of name to what's happening, the creation. So even in the 6th century BC, the philosophers were saying, yes, there is, a, there is an order to things. There is a power at work. There's a thought process at work. And they gave it a name. And that was logos, this word. And then the 3rd and 4th centuries, Stoics, they uh, called the Logos providence, nature, God, and the soul of the universe, which is composed of many seminal logi. 
and are contained in the universal logos. Which is just so funny, because that, that's a lot of words that mean nothing other than the fact that we think we're so dang smart. We think we're so smart. And the minute we discover something, we need an explanation other than God. And it's not new. It's not, it's not only in science and philosophy, it's all over the place. Now, in the first century, this, this Philo Judaeus, he taught that the Logos was an intermediary between God and the cosmos, being both the agent of creation and the agent through which the human mind can apprehend and comprehend, comprehend God. Now, that's a lot of boring stuff, but I want to show you that pathway. What's happened is this. There's in the Jewish world, the word means God, right? It's the creative agent of God. And even in the Greek world, they came back around to this idea that there's this logos out there, this creative energy, if you will. And we're still using it, right? We've got Big Bang Theory, evolution, all these things. There's this creative power because we can't deny that that happened. But we've got to come up with reasons why it happened. Don't tell me it's God because if it's God, then I got to do what he says. And he's got to be the master over it all. So that's what's so powerful about what John's trying to tell the entire world here. Because at this point in time, this God of Israel is not just the God over the Jews. He is the God over all of creation. And it's become more and more aware, right, in this time with Paul and his ministry, that Jesus' ministry was not just for Jews, thank God, otherwise we'd be out of luck. But it was for the whole world. So now we go back to that verse 1. In the beginning was the logos, the reason, the power, the thought process, the plan for creation. And we're all like, yeah, if we're reading this, like, I see that. I see that around me. There's something. Something created all of this. So it was there at the beginning. And this same energy, creative order was with God. Okay, so there is a God and a creative agent. And then it gets even crazier. And then that same Logos was God. Whether you were a Jew looking at this, the Gentile, or you know, a Jew or a Gentile looking at this, you, your mind would be like, wait, you're saying here's the reason? And basically what he's saying is that Jesus Christ is identified as the word, right? The reason, the agent, everything for the creation. And he was the word of God incarnated and made flesh. His plan, his reason, his activity and power came down to us. Now that sounds like good news. Okay, I've adequately bored you with that, but, but we need to get to the root of that. That is super important because this. Then it goes on in verse 2 to say this. He was in the beginning with God. Who is he? Jesus, the word, made flesh. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Do you see that? Not only was he there at the beginning, but all things were made 
through him and without him, he'd have a day off. Without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, imagine that for Jesus. Like, I don't know exactly how, how his awareness was with the limitations of his humanity, but the fact that he knew everything about everything, I mean, he was the one that put it together. He saw the process. He was part of the planning and the execution. And not only that, he's the one that sustains it and keeps it together. I mean, how in the world did he fit that all in this brain, man, and it not explode? Because I can't even seem to get it. Paul wrote to the Colossians this, Colossians 1, 16 through 17 for your notes. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Why I wanted to show that to you is Paul saying the same thing as John. But also that verse 17, you see that? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We can't forget that either, because get this about Jesus. Not only did he create it, but he didn't leave it. He's not leaving it unattended. Like he's not really surprised by what's going on. He's not out of control or power. That's good to know, right? He's, he's not like, okay, put it in the Instapot and walk away for 3,000 years, right? It's like, no, he is actively participating in creation. 1 Corinthians, another letter, 8, 6. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live live. See, it's more than that, guys. Not only did they, did Jesus and God create us, that's why there's the we at the beginning. We were created, right, by God, by Jesus, the same Jesus who came to save us, the same Jesus who came in human form. This is so cool because if you and I are being honest, right, the religion has you saying Bible answers. It's Jesus, it's God. No, no, seriously, Jesus is the one that designed you and put you together, and he's the only reason why you're still breathing and other people you know aren't. Whatever's going on with you, not surprised. He's not surprised. Like, he didn't leave us first. I mean, this is great news. Hebrews 1. Another letter. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Like, he's still speaking. He's still interceding with, with creation. And so all the things that you see going on, it's like, yeah, this is the reason, guys. Because there's a God who created us and loved us. And the Lord Jesus, who has compassion, who's our Savior. And now in these last days, from his ascension, right? Resurrection and ascension till when he comes back and sets everything right. Those are the last days. And in that time, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There it is again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. I mean, scientifically, Rick, right? Isn't it crazy? Like, 
how fragile the universe is. And even the orbits of the planets, and even the shift of the planet, and the axis, and all this stuff. Just a little shift, right? If something of substantial size, they make movies about it, hits the earth, it's going to jack everything up. Who upholds the universe? Who keeps everything on its, right, on the way it eclipses around the sun? Its pattern, its rotation, its speed, its position from the sun. I mean, it is amazing. And Jesus is doing all of this. And us, we have a hard time chewing gum and walking at the same time. So the first thing I really want to start this study with is this reality. Whatever you see, let, let me step back. Here's the problem. I'm going to tell, talk to you guys first over here, okay? Because it starts here. The world has a lot to say about what's right, good, and how it works. It tells you what's good and what you need. And then you get a little bit older like the people right behind you, right? And you begin to realize it doesn't do what it says it's going to do. Okay? And then you get a little bit more white and gray hair and you're over it and you're tired of it because you just know it's not going to, okay? There's no girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife that's going to be perfect. The job is not going to give you meaning. You might live to be 100 or die at 17. And if either one happens, God is still good. I don't know if you'd be a lawyer or drive a bus, right? Or invent flying cars. I don't know what it is you're going to do. But the world is going to try to tell you so many things. And, but you're going to look around. And what you're going to see is something is missing and something is incomplete. And you're going to see creation. You're going to hear scientific studies about the human eye. And the baby. And space. And the soil. And like everything that we're doing. Everything that we get into. The more information we get. The more we, re- we realize we're barely scratching the surface. And it's so complicated and so complex. But the good news is there's a creator. It's not accidental. He's the one that thought it and planned it. And that creator, God, everything was created through Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior. I mean, you got a guy in the creation business. That's good news. So here's, here's what I would say. If through Jesus... We were created and through him all creation keeps its order and continues to live and move forward. That should impact the way that we live. Okay? Do you follow that thought process? If Jesus designed, planned, and carried out all this stuff with the Father and he's the one to continue it and the one to teach you, that should have an impact on your life. Okay, so then the question, because of that, that we have to ask ourselves, a really long run-on question, but I wanted to get it all there. Okay, if Jesus created me and everything around me, and he is the one that sustains all of creation, including me, how should that impact the way I live? Let's start with this. If you're being honest with yourself, do you live like that's true? I like to tell the story of a coffee grinder and wives who are smarter than you, okay? So, you ever seen those electric coffee grinders where you push them down? So, I put the beans in there. I didn't put the full load. 
So I wasn't sure how much, if I, how coarse or how fine I want it ground. And so I'm sitting over here like in the kitchen. I got that thing plugged in. I'm like, I'm going to do a little bit more. And my wife comes over and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, just grinding some coffee. I'm not sure what kind of grind I want on there. And uh, she said, you should read the instructions. You're supposed to just hold that down and it stops on its own. That's my lesson for the day. But isn't that about how we live life? The one who created that knew its purpose, knew how it should operate, and how, how if I use it the way that they've prescribed, it will give me the best outcomes consistently over a long period of time. If I do it a different way, even if a YouTube video tells me to do it, it might not be true. And I might get poor outcomes or inconsistent outcomes or burn out my engine and motor. Does that make sense? So when I look at my life, I live that way a lot. How do you live? How do you sleep and eat and love and play? And how do you do money and health and... How do you take care of yourself and where do you live and what do you do for fun? Like those are all great questions of how to operate this thing that God made and sustain. But we never ask the person who created it. We're just, for me, I found five and then one. That works best, Chris. You should do the same thing. And no one ever actually went to the maker of it and asked him. So if that's true, like not only is he created me, but he's sustaining me, how should that impact the way that I live? I'm going to give you a few things here. It's a very incomplete list. Here's what's exciting. Tonight we'll talk more about this because I do think, and I'm not using this as an exaggeration, there's almost infinite implications to this. Each new day has tons and tons and dozens and maybe hundreds of implications of that. And as you walk those decades with the Lord, becoming like him, like John did, you're going to see more and more. Ah, oh, that's how God wanted me to use this and operate this way. He knew because he created and designed me. Okay. Here's the challenge. Here's our tendency. It was explained in Ro the letter to the Romans, what we call chapter 1, verse 25. It talks about giving people over to their own sin, right? But let me just take this out of that context. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here's why I bring this up to you. Here's your tendency. We'll forget the truth about God. That's why we come together every Sunday and, and daily we try to get into the written record of God's words, because we forget the truth about God and there's so much noise giving us other truths. And once we do that, pretty soon we end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator. There's a very uncompassionate short answer to the question, why does so much evil happen in the world? Because you're assuming that one of God's creatures being destroyed to go home to be with him is a bad thing. Well, someone died. 
Yeah, that's how it all ends for all of us. But they avoided all the trash in the meantime. So as much as you miss them, they're not missing you probably. Right? But because we worship the creature, and I get it, man. If one of my kids die before they're like 80, it's going to destroy me, right? If they die before me, if I'm at their funeral, that will destroy me. But he is, he is the creator. They are his creatures. He's designed them. He's numbered their days. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And because I worship the creature rather than the creator, I get stuck in that. Anyone else do that too? So here, here is the tendency. Now, here's how we fight. Jesus created. So the implications, let me give you a few of them here. That he is powerful because he created us. He knows more than me. He sees what I don't see. He knows what I don't know. He succeeds when I fail. Not fails. When I fail, never changes even though I'm always moody, right? Never gives up on us. He is in power and can take control of anything whenever he chooses. That's because he's the creator. He's better. Like Isaiah, man, your ways are not my ways, Lord. As high as like the heavens are to the earth are your ways from my ways because you're God and I'm not. Back to that. Because he's the creator, man, we humble ourselves before him. Just. I don't even know, I'm a man, I don't even know how to help you other than point you back to this truth. Like my goal is that everyone that's around me, sharing life with me, that we end up becoming more like Jesus, but it's going to take a long time. It's going to be really hard, but because he created us, we can humble ourselves before him and know that he is in control. And he's not wrong, he is right. Jesus created me, therefore he knows me better than anyone knows me. And he loves me right where I sit now. In fact, he loves me so much that he wants to rescue me from the patterns in my life that are destroying me. He's like, Will, stop. You're blowing out the motor. Jesus created me, therefore, he knows my purpose. Here's the hint. It's to be with him continuously as I live. No matter what I'm doing, it's with him. I don't know if you're made to dance. I'm made to dance, right? Dance with the Lord, right? I'm made to sing or, or do accounting or whatever it is that you love. You do it with the Lord. He knows my purpose. He knows how I'm put together and how I work best. Introverts, extroverts, right? And everyone in between. He's the author of the instruction manual on how I should live, yet I never ask him. And then Jesus created others. So he loves them just as much as all the same things that about me are true about them. He's created you. He loves you. He knows you. He loves you so much, in fact, that even though he loves you right where you're at now, he doesn't want you to stay there. He's come to rescue you from that. But you've got to listen to him and follow him out of the hole. And because he loves you so, that, so much, he loves them so much, what he's asking you to do is to love 
others. Because here's the thing, the others will hurt you. But like it, like it was written, right? What's, what's the worst you're going to do to me? Kill my body that's already dying anyway? No one can separate me from the love of the Father. No one's going to stop me from getting back to him. And so I can love you from the safety and protection of his love. And in doing so, I show you his love. That's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Like everything that you see, guys. Here's, here's where we're going to end this part. Everything that you see is created and thought of by God. You ever had a cheeseburger? You can't tell me God didn't come up with that idea. Okay, I'm, I'm half joking, but I really do believe that our creativity comes from our Father. In the beginning was Jesus. So because our brains are real small, maybe yours are bigger than, bigger than mine, right, Steve? But um, I want you to take this one piece home with you. I hope you can make it back, talk more about this from four to six tonight. Um, but this simple implication, because we could go on for days about what it means, but because Jesus created us, and my wife is much better at this, which I appreciate. She started asking me these questions like, did you even ask God? Right? So I'm going to do that to you. Whatever problem you're having, did you even ask God how to deal with it? Did you, did you pray like, Lord, Jesus, help me know how to do this. You put me together. Right? You know how I work. You know how I'm going to break things if I do it this way. It's that simple implication right there. If he's the creator, the sustainer, why don't we ask him more? It's the fourth part of being a church, right? Dedicate ourselves, right? We get together for the teaching of the apostles, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. That's the asking Jesus. So if we could simply ask him these questions. I mean, it sounds elementary, but it's got to start with that. It's got to start with that. Okay. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on back up. And uh, here's what I'd ask you to do. Now is the time. And the, here's the why we're doing it. We'll play some music. They'll start by just playing the instruments because if they start singing out, it'll dis disrupt you. And I don't want to distract or disrupt you. I want you to be able to have a little time to reflect on this idea, that question. I just want to leave you with this. Lord, if you're the one that created me and knows how I work and loves me and wants good for me, where in my life am I not taking your advice? Where in my life am I not taking your advice? Where in my life am I not handling it like you've asked me to?
So let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us, for creating us. Thank you for the perfect plan, Jesus, Lord. I don't know exactly how that works, that you were with him and you are him. But I know that you came down and that's what we're going to be studying, Lord, is the fact that you didn't leave us to our own mess, that you've come down and got in the middle of it with us, a new temptation and, and frustration and anger and fear and hunger and cold and hot. And you were tempted in every way that we were, but you didn't sin, you didn't give into it. And so, Jesus, I thank you so much for doing that. I don't know what the way all this works, Jesus, but we just want to take this time with that question. We believe that you created us, Lord. We believe that you created us without error and you created us as you want us to be and that you love us. We, we believe you're still speaking now, Lord, and we believe that you're sustaining and teaching us through your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just well up in, in the hearts of everyone who believes, Lord, and, and surround us in our presence, in your presence here, Lord, and speak to us and show us in our life where we're not taking your advice. We're not coming to you asking how to live, asking how to deal, how to handle something, how to walk through something. And so, Jesus, we believe that you have the answers. And so we come to you, Lord. I pray that you would bring those questions up to everyone who needs to ask those. I pray this believing, Jesus, because your power and your victory and your love for us, that you would, will answer us and lead us into the truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen.